0: The voice, the voice of NASCAR. The voice of NASCAR.
1: The voice of NASCAR.
0: The voice of NASCAR. The voice of NASCAR. This is MRN Radio, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents an original podcast series 50 years, the voice of NASCAR.
1: Earnhardt is using every inch of racetrack, and Elliot gets together with him. Earnhardt goes off in the grass. Certainly his style and his ability on the air, the way he painted a picture. Brings the car back onto the speedway and keeps it in a straight line and holds onto the lead. Juan Pablo Montoya's car has blown apart right with the jet blowers that were working to the high side of the banking. That was so weird because I was taking a little break. I had a little snack and I was drinking some water. All of a sudden I heard this boom. Tony's screaming and hollering and he grabs me by my shoulders with both hands and starts shaking me like I was on fire. That's him screaming. He is a Daytona Beach native. He's grabbing and hugging me.
0: Welcome to MRN Presents 50 Years, the Voice of NASCAR. I'm Fred Armstrong. In this series, we'll dive into the storied history of the Motor Racing Network's NASCAR coverage, how a small group of passionate race callers forever changed the sport, launched a legacy, and set the high bar for modern motorsports play-by-play. The concept of racing on radio wasn't new in the late 60s, but NASCAR coverage was a scattered phenom, divided among a loose network of radio stations and independent announcer groups working at various tracks. In 1969, NASCAR founder and president Bill France Sr. threw open the front gates of the new 2.66-mile high-banked Alabama International Motor Speedway. For France... Live radio coverage was an essential part of a promotional strategy to woo new fans to his sparkling palace of speed and equal NASCAR's stunning success at Daytona International Speedway. To make it happen, Bill Sr. reached out to radio partner and producer Dick Huffman, whose live flag-to-flag Daytona 500 coverage from flagship station WNDB had grown to a network of over 40 affiliates. France Sr. offered Huffman the Dega broadcast rights outright, but Huffman politely declined, prompting Big Bill to challenge his top deputy, the late Jim Foster, with the task of finding the right broadcast partner.
1: Bill and I had been talking about the possibility of, of having our own network and uh, using it as a promotional arm to, uh, to build racing around the country and to help all the other tracks. At that time, uh, uh, WNDB, uh, owned by the News Journal here, Uh, was doing the broadcasts of the races and they did a real great job Uh, Dick Huffman was the general manager Uh, Ted Webb was the anchor announcer Uh, Bob Smith who's now Vice President at Speedway and NASCAR was one of the uh, turn announcers and uh, they they did a great job but uh, we saw visions of making it more than just a uh, a local uh, run broadcast and uh, so Bill did give the go ahead and And it
0: started from there. Foster turned to Hank Schoolfield, whose Universal Racing Network microphones were already a familiar fixture, broadcasting grand national events at North Wilkesboro and Martinsville to a small network of about 45 stations in the Carolinas, Georgia, and Virginia. Schoolfield gladly agreed. And in 1969, the Universal Racing Network was on hand to report live as Richard Brickhouse took the checkers in the inaugural Alabama 500 second flag is cocked and
1: ready. Richard Brickhouse of Rocky IV, North Carolina, moving down through the west turn. The second flag is down, the your winner, Richard Brickhouse. Confetti going up from the crowd. They've poured up the programs or whatever they had and throwing confetti up in the air as Richard Brickhouse takes the win here at the Alabama International Motor Speedway.
0: Following the event, Foster and France agreed that radio was the way to go pitching school field with a proposition to produce live flag-to-flag coverage of everything from Daytona Speed Weeks to Grand National, ARCA, and late-model stock cars at Talladega. But the deal was not to be. Further France and Foster discussions sparked the idea to form an in-house broadcast group. And the Motor Racing Network fired its engines as the 60s took the checkered flag. Foster went to work, scouting out talent to serve in front of and behind the microphones. Having to look no further than Talladega Director of Promotions Roger Bear to fill the bill as MRN's first general
2: manager. So I had some experience, and Jim called me. I was the promoter at Talladega at the time when we opened the track and said, what do you think about starting a radio network, and are you interested in doing it? I said, well, sure, I'd be interested in, in working on that. Well, he said get yourself down here and that was in about probably november so at first of december i went down to daytona right after thanksgiving and stayed at a motel across the street that the, was then a holiday inn every day i we set up our, our office was on a pepsi cooler right outside bill france's office and jim foster it was the end of a hallway france was on the left and foster was on the right i had chair and i had a pepsi cooler seeking strength in the broadcast booth france foster
0: and bear courted veteran sportscaster ken squire who became the first voice of the network for squire the job wasn't to be taken for granted of course i was fortunate
3: i came from a little track up in vermont with a smaller radio station that my dad had and uh i knew a little about the value of radio and people's imaginations That's not to say I ever did anything that wasn't totally factual. However, uh, you did know the limitations and uh, when you could step over the line and make it real good, which was important because that was pretty much uh, America's consideration of what it was. It was hell drivers with, with a real intent. They didn't know about all the other stuff that we knew about. And because from the very beginning, uh, my dad had done some harness race announcing. I'd been around when those guys were playing on those half-mile tracks up home in New England. And I knew how much it meant to them. They may not have been able to speak about it particularly, but, but they, they cared, and they cared so darn much that that was, that was where the thrust was. And, of course, Big Bill, he had that cold. He, he was a genius with that.
2: First of all, Ken was a racetrack promoter in Vermont. And so he was, you know, he, he knew NASCAR from that ken was a terrific has a voice and a mind that is just incredible so he was the public address announcer for daytona and and um so that got him to daytona because he came down because he was a there were all, all all the promoters came to daytona in february for promoters meetings and ken was certainly a promoter at his racetracks up in vermont um he and bill france jr were really hit it off really well and and um Fran Sr. too, but especially Bill Jr. So there there was never any question about who was going to be the talent for MRN Radio. Um, It was Ken, and uh, that sure was a perfect choice. Foster challenged the Squire-Bear
0: duo to pull off a minor miracle, signed dozens of radio affiliates to the fledgling network in time for Daytona Speed Weeks 1970, and time was short. As Bear recalls, Big Bill France called for Squires' assist in December, which was
2: quite the challenge. So what Ken wasn't was uh, his, his his attention tended to wander. So he, Bill had said, "Why not you?" Bill Jr. said, "Ken, why don't you come down and help Roger contact contact all these radio stations?" That was drudgery. I, I got to tell you, that's not a fun job, um, and and Ken despised it. So he would come over, we'd start about 8 in the morning, 9 in the morning, start calling 8 or 9, start calling radio stations, and we'd work our way across the country. And that lasted about maybe two days. And then Ken found something else to do. That was not something that Ken uh, enjoyed doing, but it was a necessary thing. And I just, would I I like to talk. So I I would call the radio station to make those comments. Ken always found something more interesting and fun to do and more worthwhile for him. The interesting thing
3: was that for all the hyperbole about uh, what a great deal this was going to be, we had our own office, Roger Bear and I. And our office was out in the hallway on the second floor, uh, on top of a Pepsi Cola cooler, with one telephone. That was it. And uh, we d- divvy it up, Roger and I, and somebody stayed and did the West Coast calls, and tried to interest radio stations and what this was all
0: about those were good days for bear clearing stations was easy at first
2: selling nascar was the tricky part but the key was helping companies the radio stations being the companies find sponsors and so i would organize the categories that i thought might be good sponsors and i'd end up talking to the station manager or to the to the um sales manager and I would give them suggestions of car dealers that would work. Fords were going to be good that year or Chevrolets were going to be good that year. And you just kept them informed. I had a pretty good mailing list that I used with Broadcasting Magazine was our Bible and they had a yearbook and that was, the, I, you just went down Broadcasting Yearbook and uh, country music stations were key targets. Uh, country music was big so we would Go, we would organize it by format. We would organize it by market. I, I wouldn't give exclusivity beyond the name of the city, city limits. So we had, we had lots of stations on top of stations, particularly in North and South Carolina and Georgia and Virginia. But I, you know, we were strong enough that we could do that. So that's how we ended up with sometimes three, three hundred and fifty radio stations because you had Fuquay Arena and Raleigh and and Wake Forest and and Durham all carry all carry all carrying the same race on the same day for squire
0: the great personalities of the sport were the real story we had such a good product
3: there wasn't any question but it was a question about how you would materialize into radio what we knew was good for the, the sport. Probably the only thing that we did a little differently from everybody else is we spent a lot of time with drivers. And in those days uh, the, the word was uh, they, they weren't very good speakers. Wrong. R-O-N-G wrong. Uh, it turned out that they were very conscientious and they weren't about to have some looney tune out of New England down there and make fools of them so they were reserved about what they said but when they spoke they spoke with uh, uh, such intelligence and and weight that with the exception of Petty Petty from the beginning was very good he was the uh, 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 ball trip of his time (laughs) He, he was willing to talk to anybody at any time about what this game was and what it meant to
0: him hard to find people like that With stations cleared and preparations complete for Daytona Speed Weeks 1970, the time had finally come for the Motor Racing Network to make its debut.
1: The Motor Racing Network presents the 12th Annual Daytona 500-Miler.
0: MRN's inaugural broadcast covered the 12th running of the Daytona 500. As the festivities unfolded trackside, mics were hot in the booth, and the dulcet tones of anchor Ken Squire reverberated from radios nationwide.
1: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. As five of the finest high school bands in the state of Florida are serenading a crowd estimated at some 100,000 people, this is Ken Squire inviting you to join us for the running of the world's greatest stock car race, the Daytona 500 miler. At this hour, 40 cars sit quietly on pit row, awaiting a call from Speedway President Bill France to surge into action, commencing one of the most colorful, most exciting events in the world of sports.
0: Joining Squire Topside, Daytona native and former NASCAR star and Daytona 500 winner Marvin Panch. Brought a driver's perspective to the broadcast booth.
1: I can speak from experience just how important it is to win this particular race. Back in 1959 and 60, I was in a very bad slump. Didn't have a decent car, couldn't get a decent ride, and Smokey unique from Daytona Beach gave me one of his cars to run here in 61, and after winning the 61 race, it started me back up the ladder, Ken, so this race is uh, very important in more ways than one for a driver to win.
2: Well, I picked Marvin. Marvin was a good friend, um, and he lived in Daytona Beach, so he was easy to work with being in Daytona Beach. And Marvin had uh, just great chops. He, he knew the sport, he knew the inside workings. He was non-controversial. He was a friend of everyone. His full-time job was with Grey Rock brake, brake Linings, and he, did, he turned the brake drums. There were no disc brakes back then. He turned the brake drums and fitted the brake linings f- for all the teams. So he was at the racetrack. That meant I didn't have to pay his expenses. And, and that was a big deal back then. With the new broadcast team came new innovations.
0: One of the first and the most popular was the artfully placed pre-recorded soundbite.
2: Everything was hardwired in those days, and so we went to the phone company, and they showed us how to hardwire the towers that we'd have to put up for our announcers and get everything set up. I used the engineer from WNDB, Phil Angley, and he had, had experience. As well, so I had a little help there, and and they and we used their equipment, um, and Ken brought great ideas on how to how to really personalize a radio broadcast of an auto race. And one of the things that we did that was innovative it was hard to talk to drivers or people during the race because everything was hardwired. We didn't have any radio equipment you know, over-the-air equipment that we could go down and put a microphone in somebody's face. We could put a recorder in their face. So so for the days prior to the events, Ken and Barney Hall and I would go down and we'd interview drivers and ask them all sorts of situation questions. Well, Kale,
1: this is phenomenal. 194.015 is a new record at Daytona, and I guess there's not a person around here that's happier than Kale Yarbrough right now. You're right. This makes me mighty happy. I just hope it stands up. A lot of good cars qualify yet, but this Mercury Cyclone really did the job. Cale, did you have any idea that that you were going to be turning in a speed that fast when you sat on the line? Well, I'd I'd hope so, but uh, maybe this is a little faster than I expected. Cale Yarborough on the pole. The last time he rested on the pole, 1968. He won the Daytona 500-miler.
2: Ken would sit up with... What were cartridges, and then just have mounds of cartridges of comments from drivers or driver, crew chiefs or owners about various situations during the race. And when a situation would come up, Ken would fumble through all these multiple cartridges with little recordings he put it in he said "Well, let's hear what David Pearson had to say about that and it really brought life to the broadcast that that had never ever ever been done Um, it was so innovative and so good plus Ken's great use of the English language and his ability to bring excitement over the air was great
0: big bill france the new network offered a golden opportunity to speak to the nation from high atop his speed palace as the green was about to fall on the great american race we
1: take pleasure in bringing to the microphone the president of the daytona international speedway Bill France Sr. Thank you, Ken. I want to join you in a warm and personal welcome to our friends and relatives listening to today's broadcast of the world's greatest stock car race, the Daytona 500. Today's exciting events are being carried across the land and throughout the world by a network totaling nearly 300 radio stations, plus the American Forces Network. Today's broadcast is of special significance to Mrs. France and myself, as our son Jim is listening with some of his buddies at 1 o'clock in the morning somewhere in Vietnam. This year's Daytona 500 marks the first time that Jim hasn't been here to share the event with us. Like so many of you listening at home, we hope that this broadcast brings all of us closer together for a few moments, and may God bless all of
0: you. Joining the broadcast team from the turns was Tony Dean of KCCR Pierre, South Dakota.
1: Thank you very much, Cannon. good morning everybody from Florida. The Daytona International Speedway is a tremendous sight and something that every race fan thinks about all winter long around the country. While the wind has died down considerably, there's still a little bit of gust uh, coming across turn number two. And as the field moves out of turn number two down the long back straightaway, they will be hitting that wind. It could cause some problems. It's a hairy turn, and this is where lots of things happen. And we're looking forward to another exciting race from Daytona. Now let's go back to Ken Squire in the tower.
0: Also positioned out on course was WNDB's program director, Bob Smith.
1: Thank you, Ken, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, from the fourth turn of Daytona International Speedway. Once the cars leave Tony Dean's position on the second turn and move down the back straightaway, we'll be picking them up as they get in the mid part of the back straight and head into the east end of the speedway and they come screaming through turns three and four. So we'll pick them up through the east end of the speedway and take them down into the triable, where Ken Squire will pick them up once again from the town.
0: Covering Pit Road, WNDB Government Affairs reporter Bob McKinley.
1: There's a multicolored field of cars on one side of the pit wall. Behind the pit wall are a multicolored, uniformed group of the world's fastest pit crews. This morning they've been having meetings with their team managers, all of the equipment and accoutrements used to service the cars are in their proper places. The pits are a place where you can win or lose a race. These fellas are well aware of that. We'll be covering all of the action here on the west end of the pits during the running of today's 500. Let's go back to Ken Squire.
0: And on the other end of pit road... A very talented PA announcer who went on to be Motor Racing Network's longest tenured anchor and who many today consider to be the voice of NASCAR, Barney Hall.
1: Thank you, Ken. As we look down toward the east end of the speedway, all we can see, of course, is pit crews and tires stacked all the way up to the top of pit wall. They'll get a chance to put all this equipment to work as the race will be getting underway here very shortly. We'll be right here to cover all the action back to you in the tower. With
0: an estimated crowd of 100,000 in attendance and millions listening on MRN, the field was set to begin the 12th annual Daytona 500.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the 12th annual Daytona 500. miler is underway. Moving down the front straightaway into turn number one. It's Kale Yabro in the lead right behind him in that wing dodge Daytona. Buddy Baker.
0: And the racing left nothing to be desired. Buddy
1: Baker goes up the inside and almost getting in the wall was Pearson as he came out of the triangle. He raised that dust right up against the wall.
0: The grueling pace tested power plants aplenty including pole sitter, Cale Yarborough. The
1: wrecker has picked up Cale Yarborough's automobile in the first turn area. And that has to be one of the saddest moments in this e-sporting event today. Uh, this is McGinley in the west end of the pits, walking back very detectedly, but getting a big hand from the fans here. Cale Yarborough from Timminsville. Cale, that was quite a driving exhibition. What happened? Well, I uh, uh, blew an engine coming out of the fourth turn, and they all, was, all was getting under my tires. And, uh, I did have my hand
0: pulled. And then... The first trouble call.
1: Trouble right on the back straight. A car hitting the wall. Pieces of metal flying high in the air. Sliding along down the wall along the back straight. Away up to radio control. It's Buddy Arrington, car number five, which grinds off the right side of his automobile. The car finally stopping after sliding along the wall for some eight hundred feet.
0: Pete Hamilton scored the win in the first Daytona five hundred carried on MRN. It was the first victory for the Petty Enterprises pilot.
1: Twelfth annual five hundred is over. It has been another breathtaking performance, a superlative automobile race, and it has been won today by Pete Hamilton, Dedham, Massachusetts.
0: Hamilton's elation in victory lane emulated the feelings around the broadcast crew. The hastily assembled gang of professional sportscasters had accomplished exactly what they set out to do, bringing the world's greatest stock car race to fans around the globe the network was grabbing fourth gear. We
1: thank you for being with us. We look forward to having you return on April the 12th when the Motor Racing Network takes you to Talladega, Alabama, the world's fastest motor speedway.
0: Now, Roger Bear, Ken Squire, and Jim Foster had their marching orders. Do it again at Talladega.
2: There was no television. And the only way race fans knew what was going on was by listening to the broadcasts. And so we had a huge responsibility to be accurate and informative, and I think we accepted that.
0: Next time on MRN Presents 50 Years, the voice of NASCAR, we continue through the 1970s. Until then, I'm Fred Armstrong. Have a great week.
1: Richard Petty goes back in front. They both spin. They're in the wall. Petty is sliding, slamming into the wall. He's coming down toward the finish line. Will he make it? He's still moving. The car stops 300, 400 feet shy of the finish line.
0: This program was a presentation of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida.
1: And now it appears we may have a fist fight. We see drivers and helmets, safety officials trying to jump in there and separate them as tempers have really flared after this amazing incident on the final lap coming into turn number three.
0: MRN presents 50 Years the Voice of NASCAR was written and produced by Tyler Burnett.
1: Dale Earnhardt comes to the white flag and the caution flag and dale earnhardt is going to win the daytona 500 in his 20th try
0: any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of nascar and the motor racing network With his own nicotine pouches.